great to see you all this uh, afternoon here on this Sunday. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Before I get into our message today, in your bulletin, there is an insert that says uh, pray and participate. Our our youth ministry, our student ministry, uh, uh, about 33 folks are going to be, students are going to be going on a missions trip this summer to Puerto Rico um, to serve some of the areas that have been impacted by the hurricane. And one of the ways we want to live out our missional value as a church is to, is to do things like this, and increasingly so at, at New Life. And so to kind of support some of the um, uh, scholarships and fundraising and such for students to, so students can go out there, downstairs in the shell room, there'll be an opportunity to learn more about the trip as well as ways that you can uh, participate and pray and financially support uh, these efforts here. So at the end of the service here, uh, please stop by the shell room for a few minutes, learn more about it, and if you can, sign up to serve and participate in this way. Uh, that would be a really wonderful thing. Uh, we're in a series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution for the Christian and for the past couple of weeks, we started off with blessed are the poor in spirit, then we went into blessed are those who mourn, then we went into blessed are the peacemakers. And what I want to do is, uh, today is I want to give a summary of the entirety of uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount till probably the end of June. And so there's other things that I want to capture, but today is going to be more of the summary of the Beatitudes. Usually when I preach, I have one clear point that I want to really zero in. Uh, today, I'm going to give you like nine of them, all right? So, um, amen. That's what, we, that's what you're going to get today. You're in for it. And so, uh, but I want to tie them all together and, and, and just give a summary of what Jesus is talking about when he gives the Beatitudes and, and who's blessed and why they're blessed and why it's important to orient our lives along these lines. And as I preach, what I want you to do, I'm going I'm to share, give about uh, uh, seven Beatitudes today. I'm going to just focus on them. And as I preach, I want you to be asking Jesus, Lord, are you calling me in this particular season to especially focus on one of these Beatitudes? Certainly all of our lives are to be marked by this, but is there, Lord, is there one of these Beatitudes that you're calling me to especially focus on? And so as I preach one, I want you to be in dialogue with God. Lord, is, is that the one that you're calling me to cultivate? Oh, 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 if you don't know, maybe Lord, is this one? Is that the one you're calling me to cultivate? So as I'm preaching, my prayer is that you're also having dialogue with God. Uh, this, this, this is multitasking in the best sense of the word, that you are holding on to what God is saying to you and what that means for your life as well. And so uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, number 1 Hear the word of the Lord. It says, blessed are those, uh, no, that's not what it says. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'm going to preach on all of it today, all right? Us, all of it, so buckle up. Uh, God's going to speak to us in some profound ways today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we offer this time to you. Thank you for your sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached. And Lord, I pray that as I preach on what you preach, that the Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts deeply and that we would be open to the movement of your spirit and what you are calling us to especially focus on in this season of our lives. And so, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago when we started the Sermon on the Mount, I mentioned that This is the constitution for the Christian, that when you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus in clear uh, terms, you look to the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to look to one place in the Bible, look to the Sermon on the Mount to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I mentioned that it's important that we understand how the church typically has 
approach the Sermon on the Mount. We have either seen these words as the suggestion on the Mount that Jesus is basically saying, if you can get around to it, I know you're full and has a, a busy life, but if you can get to it, here are some things you can consider doing. I want to suggest you do if you follow me. But the Sermon on the Mount is more than just a suggestion. It is the way that we are to live in the kingdom. Or the Sermon on the Mount is seen as a way that to, to show us how sinful we are and that we really cannot live it. And there's a part in the church that focuses on the Sermon on the Mount as you cannot live this, therefore throw yourself on the grace of God. And certainly we need to throw ourselves on the grace of God. But when Jesus gave this sermon, he wanted us to truly embody it. He wanted us to truly live it, but through the power of his spirit. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a description of a way of life of a people, a people of a new age that results from following Jesus. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is here. The rule of God is here. The reign of God is here. I'm here, and if you're going to follow me, there's a new way of living life that we are to embody in the world. Now, one of the things I saw this past week that's helped me to look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in particular a little differently is something this guy Stanley Harawas said. And he said it in a way that to understand the Beatitudes in particular, we have to see it not just from an individualistic lens, but from a community lens as well. That this describes not just an individual, but a community. And this is why it's important. This is what he says. He says, each of the Beatitudes names a gift, but it is not presumed that everyone who is a follower of Jesus will possess each Beatitude. And what I would say is possess each Beatitude to the same degree at the same time and all of that. Rather, the gifts name, named in the Beatitudes suggest that the diversity of these gifts will be present in the community of those who have heard Jesus' call to discipleship. And here's an important piece. Indeed, to learn to be a disciple is to learn why we are dependent on those who mourn. Why we are dependent on those who are meek. Continue. Why we are dependent on those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why we are dependent on the poor in spirit. Why we are dependent on those who are pure in heart. Why we are dependent on those who are persecuted. Why we are dependent on those who are peacemakers. It's an important lens to see it. We are to learn to be, uh, to learn why we are dependent on those who mourn or who are meek, though we may not possess the gift ourselves. And so when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're basically saying, Lord, not only may we be individuals who embody this as a community, may we be the kind of church that embodies these words that Jesus says. And so I want to go through them here because each one of them has power. And every time we see these words, we are to not just pray, Lord, may we live it. Lord, may we be dependent on others who live it as well. And so first Jesus says we must be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that word poor... Again, it's a translation of a Hebrew word which carries the basic connotation of a lacking, a lacking, not having something. And when you read the Psalms, you see that there's two kinds of instances when the word poor is used. When the psalmist says, I'm poor, this poor man cried and the Lord answered him. The word poor there is seen in two ways. It's either I'm poor because I don't have material resources I don't have property. I'm poor in that sense of material way. But more often than not, when someone says they're poor in the Bible, it's not speaking about having a lack of material possessions or resources. It's speaking about someone who is utterly dependent upon God. I'm fully dependent on God. And Jesus says those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are fully dependent upon God. And those who follow Jesus and live in the, his kingdom are to be poor in spirit, those who recognize their utter radical dependence upon God. Now, when Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, this is a curious way to begin because his world and our world does not associate blessing with poverty. There's no association with happiness and joy with poverty in our world and in Jesus' world as well. In Jesus' world, the more kids you had, the more blessed you were. The more possessions you had, the more blessed you were. The more power you had, the more blessed you were. In our world, we believe the more houses you have, the more blessed you are. 
The bigger the house you have, the more blessed you are. The nicer the car you have, the nicer the job you have, the more money you have, the more blessed you are. But Jesus begins counterculturally and counterinstinctively in saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who feel their poverty before God and recognize their utter dependence upon God. If you want to live life in the kingdom of God, you must feel your poverty and recognize that without God, you can do nothing. That's what it means to live life in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, those who live this way, you're blessed. Those who live this way, you're happy. Those who live this way, you're content. When you recognize how weak and how poor you are, you are now in a position to receive the joy and the happiness and the abundance of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the world doesn't see it this way, that the world does not prize weakness. The world does not celebrate poverty of spirit. The world is oriented around Pride, being pride and, 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 and being something without God. I can be something by myself. I just need me. And this is why folks, as I mentioned, when, when they hear about Christianity, folks would say the reason why they don't like religion and, and why don't, they don't like Christianity is because Christi Christianity is very simply, it's a crutch for the weak who cannot get by without religion. And whenever someone says Christianity is a crutch for the weak, don't apologize, don't fight with them, say amen, and it's more than a crutch. It, it's, what is it? A wheelchair, it's a stretcher, it's a gurney, it's an ambulance, it's a hearse. Christianity says you, you have more than just a limp, you're dead. And you need God to raise you back to life again. Blessed are those who feel their poverty. Blessed are those who recognize I'm dependent upon God. Blessed are those who say, without God, I can do nothing. And Jesus says, when you begin your life this way, you are happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so Jesus begins, this is the way to begin everything. If you can't do this, you can't do anything else. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. If you can go to that next slide for me, that, that would be uh, really helpful. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, the world says, again, Jesus is giving the constitution for the Christian. This is how we order our lives. This is so radically different than the world thinks because the world says, blessed are those who are happy. Blessed are those who don't have any problems. Blessed are those who always see the bright side of things. Blessed are those who are optimists. Blessed are those who, who, who always can see a good outcome come out of bad situations. And yet Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who feel their grief and carry it to God. And he says, when you do that, you will be comforted. Now, the world often does not consider mourning to be blessing. We don't see loss at all as blessing. And yet anytime loss comes, every time pain comes, it's an opportunity to, to, to mourn so that we can be comforted by God, to experience the resources of God. And so uh, those who, are, who say yes to the way of the kingdom of God, who, who receive the Sermon on the Mount as the constitution for the Christian, are those who mourn, who mourn over their sin, who mourn over that which has been lost, who mourn over the sin of others, who, who mourns over the brokenness of others, that we carry our grief before God. Now, now the, the challenge is this. Often, we don't do this. There, there's so much addiction in the world and denial in the world, and the reason for that is we have not allowed ourselves to truly feel our grief and pain. We have entire families and cultures that are oriented up against mourning, as I mentioned, you know, my, my family, my Puerto Rican family, we don't do sadness. We do salsa. That's what we do.
we dance the night away. And if we're not dancing, we're drinking the night away. And so yet Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, those who carry their grief to God are those who are comforted. And I wonder today, as we're going through these Beatitudes, has your life been identified by mourning or denial or suppression or, or, or flat out, I, I, I refuse to see the pain of my life. But blessed are those who mourn. It's so paradoxical and countercultural. Blessed are those who carry their grief to God. This is why I love the Psalms, that half of the Psalms are Psalms of mourning. Read through the Psalms. You'll see almost half of them mourning, grief, lament. Lord, where are you? Lord, when are you coming? Lord, I've lost everything. And yet it is in these moments where we pour out our grief and our mourning to God that somehow we are connected to God in deep ways. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then Jesus says, thirdly, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we are called to be people who are meek. Now, this word meekness is often confused with weakness. And people think that to be meek means to be passive, to be sheepish, to be quiet, to never speak up, to let people walk all over you. But that's not what it means to be meek. The word meekness is, is really about power under control. Power under control. It's a, it, to be meek, it's, it's, a, it's to recognize that the world is not healed through aggression and domination, but by gentleness. That's how, that's how the world is healed. Not by power and domination, but by gentleness, by meekness. Blessed are those who are meek. Now, one of the best images I've heard of meekness <clears throat> or the refusal uh, to be meek is that of an untamed horse. Those who, are, who refuse to be meek, the opposite of it is like the image that some scholars give is a meek person is like a tamed horse that recognizes it has its power, but it's power under control. Whereas a person who is not meek is like an untamed horse that you can't ride on. It's too dangerous. And this is a picture of a lot of Christians. Just, this, this is, these are Christians. You, you, you know, you have a little a disagreement with them. All of a sudden, they're throwing you off. You voted differently than they did? Untamed horse. They're throwing you off. A little bit of conflict. They, they, we, we don't recognize our It's not power under control. And Jesus says, essentially, to be meek is to recognize that you have power, but it is power under control. Uh, Blessed are those who are gentle. Gentle. Now, the the world doesn't operate like this. And again, when Jesus gives the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, by him preaching this, he's saying this is opposite than how the world operates. Because the world doesn't believe blessed are those who are meek. The world believes blessed are those who are aggressive. Blessed are those who get the job done. Blessed are those who force their way through. Blessed are those who make it happen. And yet Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek. Now, our world system, the world around us, is not permeated by meekness. It's permeated by aggression. Look no further than social media. Look no further than, if you ever, if you ever uh, go on Facebook or social media, YouTube, look at the comment section. The cesspool that is comment sections on anything. And you see, it's no gentleness, no meekness. Look no further than politics. The world system in politics is not oriented by gentleness and meekness. Think about our religious and theological conversations and debates that we have that are not often identified by gentleness but by aggression. I'm going to prove you're wrong and that I'm right. 
Walk down Queens Boulevard for a second and ask someone who's not a Christian, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about a church or Christianity? They're not going to say meekness, (laughs) gentleness. They're going to say judgmentalism, condemnation. And yet, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I like how Ron Roheiser said, what's the, what's the indication that the gospel has hit you? This is what Ron Roheiser says. He says, it's a cruel thing to say, but all this angry zeal and passion, no matter how high the cause will, which fuels it, is not a sign that truth and the gospel are breaking through. When truth and the gospel break through, the first mark is compassion, meekness, gentleness, not anger. Power under control. Have you been meek? That's the question. In your conversations with people, have you gone the way of aggression or meekness? Have you gone the way of force or gentleness? Is it safe to be around you? That's what it means to be meek. It's safe to be around you. As opposed to it's dangerous to be around you. When Jesus comes, Jesus comes as someone who embodies meekness, gentleness. He sets the world right through gentleness and meekness. He could have set the world right any other way. Jesus could have come like the Terminator uh, and, and, and like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the uh, Terminator 1. Just, he comes as a human being, boom, zapped into the world just like that. And then set the world just right. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to obliterate the unrighteous and the wicked. And I'm going to bless everyone else. And instead, Jesus doesn't come like that. He comes as an infant. Gentle. You don't get more gentle than an infant. Fragile. Power under control. The son of God, the one who created it all, comes as an infant. Jesus is the epitome of meekness. And so to be meek means... You're not easily triggered. To be meek means you're safe to be around. To be meek means you don't have to overpower people. You don't have to have the last word on everything. It's power under control. I was in a conversation this past week with someone on on social media going back and forth a little bit. And at one point, the person said something. And I was going to go, oh, I'm going to respond right now. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say right now. I'm going to give you a Bible verse. And I just sensed God said, let them be. No, Lord, I can't let it be. I cannot let it be, Lord. Let it go. I can't let it go. My name is not Elsa. I am not letting it go. I got to finish this. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit, I was, I, I, I was about to, you know, and I felt like my, my thumbs couldn't work, you know. I was ah, 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 <laughs> you know. And at that moment, I just, meekness, power under control. When you're meek, you don't have to have the last word. When you're meek, it's safe to be around you. When you're meek, you're gentle. And Jesus says it is these people who will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are meek. Now, meekness, I just want to say before I move on to the next thing, this is not a personality type. Meekness is not a personality type. Where you walk out and say, you know, there's some people that are just, they just have a good personality for meekness. This is about character, not personality. And so you can't walk out and say, you know what, that's a good word for someone who's a little bit more, a little more passive, a little more maybe introverted. But for us extroverts and people who take it, that word doesn't just work for us. No, it works for everybody. And we're all called to live the way of weakness. Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are marked by the kingdom of God, those who belong to Jesus are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he uses those two basic words, hunger and thirst, basic needs for our survival, eating and drinking. And Jesus says, you're blessed when your most basic need for you is to see God's righteousness. Now, that word righteousness should be really translated justice. We must be people, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for God's justice to be done. 
And Jesus says, the way to live into the kingdom of God is to be people who need justice to be expressed into the world. And our lives are marked by this hunger and by this thirst. Now, it's important to know that um, we are inclined and oriented towards justice from a very early age. We all have a kind of justice gene that we're born with. We're all born with a justice gene, a gene that recognizes there are certain things that are wrong that need to be made right. There are certain things that are not fair that need to be made right. We all have a justice gene inside of us. The challenge is the older we get, that justice gene turns often into indifference and apathy. That you can really, I know there's problems over there and injustice over there, but you know, I got other things to do. But we're born with a justice gene. There was a great article um, by NPR, and I, I love the title of the article. It, it says, that's not fair, crime and punishment in a preschooler's mind. And they were trying to identify how early in a child's development do they get the sense of justice and fairness and that something is not right. And uh, they concluded, this is studies in the UK and in Germany, that as, as early as three years old, children have a sense of right and wrong, justice and fairness. And I understand, my, my, I have my three-year-old son, one of his favorite phrases nowadays is, that's not fair. <laughs> well, well, Karis is going to watch her show now. After she watches her show, you can maybe watch your show. That's not fair. Three years old, that's not fair. Go to your room. Right? Just get out of here. I'll show you what's fair. And so from an early age, children have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And so this, this article called Crime and Punishment in a Preschooler's Mind says that by three years old, kids have a burgeoning sense of fairness and they're inclined to right a wrong. And so there was a study done of uh, 137 children from three to five years old, and there were a couple of different scenarios. And in one experiment, there was a, a, a devious puppet. Uh, one of the researchers became like a little puppeteer, and they had one of the devious puppets steal cookies from one of the three-year-olds. And the three-year-old, 60 to 70% of the time, took back the cookies. Give me my cookie. Get it back. <laughs> and so th that's not right. Give me my cookie back. But in another study, and, and, and the, the statistics were very similar, they said that they had another devious puppet take marbles away from an innocent puppet. And the kid is right there watching it all. And the devious puppet took the marbles, and the, 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 the puppet who, was, who had the marbles taken from it starts screaming in distress. Oh, my marbles, my marbles, my marbles. And 60 to 70% of the time, the kids would go to the bad puppet and take back the marbles. And say, that's not your marbles, and give it back. <laughs> and so from an early age, three years old, children have a sense that there's certain things that are not right that need to be made right. There's certain things that are not fair that need to be made fair. There's certain things that are wrong that need to be made right. And so Jesus, the, the, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's borrowing from a Hebrew word, mishpat, which means giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or care. That's the full word of the word justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's justice to be done. There are things that are wrong that need to be made right. And Jesus says, you're blessed when you hunger for this, when you thirst for this. And the challenge in our day is this justice gene tends to dissipate the older we get and the further we are removed from unjust situations. And yet Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who, who when you see wrong, whether in your home, when you see wrong, at your school, when you see wrong, in your job, when you see wrong, in the world, that you begin to hunger and thirst for God's justice to be made done, for his kingdom to come. And this is why we are to be grateful, as Stanley Harawas said in the earlier slide I mentioned, that, that we might not all have this to the same degree, but we are to be thankful whenever someone in the body of Christ has this. Whenever someone in the body of Christ has a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and there are people in our church who have like a disproportionate hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
And every time we see someone who has a hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shouldn't say, man, why don't you do something else, man? Think about something else. Do something that's fun. We should say, no, no, we are to pay attention here. When someone is saying something is not right, it's a gift to the community. And we are to learn to be dependent upon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Jesus moves on. He's giving this sermon to his disciples. This is the best sermon ever preached. And after he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he very intentionally, I believe, goes into the next blessing. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus, what is it, justice or mercy? Yes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. And then blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, I don't have time to go into the importance of holding these two together and not seeing them as contradictory but as complementary. But Jesus is filled with, the Bible says, grace and truth. He's filled with justice and mercy. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let me ask you, is mercy a word that describes your life? Is mercy a word that describes your life? To be merciful is different than how the world operates. The world operates according to the principles of retribution and judgment as opposed to mercy. The world operates according to, I'm going to get you back as opposed to mercy. The world operates according to this is what you deserve. And yet, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I heard a great story of a great author, Ron Rollheiser, and he's, he's a priest in the Catholic Church, and he was talking about uh, an encounter he had with an Uh, older priest when he was beginning his ministry. He had a conversation with an 80-year-old, nearly blind, but um, a priest who was highly respected. And he asked him a question. He said, if you had your priesthood to live over again, would you do anything differently? And he said, for a man that was so full of integrity, he wasn't expecting that there would be any regrets from this wise man. And yet this priest said, I would most certainly do something differently if I could do my priesthood over again. And this is what he said. He said, if I had my priesthood to do over again, I would be easier on people the next time. I wouldn't be so stingy with God's mercy, with the sacraments, with forgiveness. I fear I've been too hard on people. They have pain enough without me and the church laying further burdens on them. I should have risked God's mercy mercy more. Now, this was different from the advice that he received from another priest when he began his ministry. And he said he was struck by that because less than a year before, when he took his final exams in seminary, one of the priests said, be careful, don't be soft. Only the truth sets people free. Risk truth over mercy. Now, we know that the two are to coexist. Jesus is filled of grace and truth. And yet, I think for some of us, we need to learn how to be more merciful. Merciful towards others, forgiving towards others. It's often in our world we are discipled into being mean and not showing mercy. When we see someone we don't agree with, we don't show mercy. When we see someone who voted differently than us, we don't show mercy. When someone has maybe hurt us, we, 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 we're not prone to mercy. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I like how Brian Zahn, the pastor out in uh, the Missouri area, he, he, he gives a nice little way to think through mercy. He says, when you can blame, have mercy. When you can shame, have mercy. When you can criticize, have mercy. When you can condemn, have mercy. When you have a political disagreement, have mercy. When you have a theological disagreement, have mercy. When you are certain you are completely right, have mercy. 
when you could exact your revenge and get even, have mercy. So that when you pray, Lord, have mercy on me, there will be a large reservoir of mercy for God to draw from. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, those who are in my kingdom, those who follow me, we live different than the world. We are identified by mercy. Next, Jesus says we must be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who are in the kingdom of God, those who follow Jesus, are those who can be described as pure in heart. And they are blessed, these people, because Jesus says they see God. Now, when, Je- when, when, when people hear this, they often think that when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus is talking about sexual purity in this context. And of course, the New Testament has a lot to say about sexual purity. But when Jesus talks about being pure in heart, he's not thinking exclusively or maybe even primarily about sexual purity. Or people think to be pure in heart means to stay away from those who are unclean, who are And yet we see Jesus over and over again hanging around unclean people in his own ministry. When when Jesus says to be pure in heart, he's saying something a bit more comprehensively. I I like how uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. He said, purity of heart is a heart that belongs completely to God. The pure in heart are those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtues too. Or as the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, to have purity of heart is to will one thing. What is the one thing? God's will. My life is about God's will. That's to be pure in heart. My life is about God's kingdom. That's what it means to be pure in heart. This is, this is why we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, may my heart be pure so that I can see God. Now notice this. When Jesus says, you will see God, we often think that means, blessed are the pure in heart, for when you die, you will see God. Or we think, blessed are the pure in heart, so you shall see God, maybe in mystical visions, while you're alone in your room. And certainly, I love mystical visions, and if you can get them, go get them, if you can get them. They're wonderful. And I, and I believe when you die, those who are in Christ, pure in heart, they will see God. But maybe Jesus, when he was saying, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God, was not just talking about something that will happens when you die or something that happens when you are alone praying in your room. Maybe when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, Jesus meant you will see God where? Everywhere. They shall, you shall see God where? Everywhere. When, when, when your mind is about singularity of heart and singularity of focus, God's will be done, your kingdom come, you begin to see God everywhere. C.S. Lewis gives an image of, of staring at the sun. And if you stare at the sun for a while, if you look, you're going to see the spots of the sun everywhere. And maybe, maybe Jesus is saying the pure in heart are those who know how to who contemplate God whose hearts are single-minded, focused on God, that out of being with God and seeing God, we begin to see God everywhere. Maybe this is what Jesus means when purity of heart, you shall see God where? Everywhere. And with people that you have a hard time loving, when you're pure in heart, you begin to see the image of God in people that you have a hard time loving. You begin to see God at work in different places when you are pure in hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who are wrapped up in my kingdom are those who will one thing. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is your focus God? That's a good question for us. Is, is your, when you wake up in the morning, is your mind thinking, singularity of focus. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Or are we distracted by this or by that? Here's the last thing. Jesus says, 
Blessed now are the peacemakers. And I focused on this last week. But those who belong to Jesus, those who are in his kingdom, are those who make peace. Not keep peace, as I said last week, but make peace. Who enter into disruptive conflict and find a way to make peace. Now, like many of you, I was, I was surprised to see the shaking of hands between North and South Korean leaders this past week. And it was a powerful moment of, of peace. And if, if you didn't see the, the video, I, 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 I have a clip for us just to see it, to take this in for a moment. So hit the lights and check out this video. It was, uh, <laughs> homeboy said, peace works two ways, all right? Um, come on this side. Um, now, <clears throat> I've been reading a lot about that handshake, and um, certainly uh, there's a long way to go in North and South Korean relations. And, and, and it's a, an incredibly complex situation, politically militarily, economically, generationally. It's so incredibly, incredibly complex. And with all of that, that handshake was a remarkable achievement. And whenever and wherever there is peace in the world, God is at work. Whenever and wherever there is peace in the world, God is at work. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You want to know what it's like to be in the kingdom of God? We don't just keep peace. We make peace. But here's the difference. They're, they're, they're shaking their hands and they're saying, we're not going to have, we refuse to have a, a, a nuclear war against each other and all of that there. That, that's worldly peace. It's good peace, but it's, but it's not the peace that Jesus gives. Worldly peace celebrates the absence of violence. Kingdom peace celebrates the presence of love. Worldly peace celebrates the absence of conflict. Kingdom peace celebrates the presence of justice. And so while we are to celebrate where there is no violence and celebrate where there is uh, no war, we are to say, Lord, may your peace come, your true peace, which is marked by justice and love which is marked, marked by truth and mercy, which is marked by meekness and purity, which is marked by your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus says, those who are peacemakers are those who belong to his kingdom. And I want to encourage you, last week I, I gave a message on peacemaking uh, and, and the ways to begin to do that. And if you didn't see that, you, you really should check that out. But Jesus says, those who are in my kingdom are those who learn how to make peace who work for the shalom of God, the justice of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. I wonder, which of these Beatitudes has your name on it today? Which of these Beatitudes is the Holy Spirit saying, that's the one for you this week or in this season of life? And until we are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit 
to say yes to Jesus and to live in his kingdom, we will not live, according to Jesus, the life of true blessing, of joy and contentment and happiness until we open ourselves up to the way of following him in this manner. And it all begins with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their poverty because now you are positioned to receive the fullness and the abundance of God. Let's pray together. Which beatitude has your name on it? What is the Holy Spirit zeroing in today on your heart to say, that's the one I want to cultivate in you today? Is it poverty of spirit? Is it mourning? Is it meekness? Is it hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Is it mercy? Is it purity of heart? Is it peacemaking? If you have that area, maybe just in your own heart, say, Lord, would you open me up to this? So my home and my relationships at work and at school and in just following you may be marked by this particular blessing, this particular call. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and for inviting us into your kingdom. And Lord, thank you for the ways that you want to set us free from the ways of the world system that is so often oriented not by the words that you preached, but by words that are totally opposite. And Lord, may we find our identity in following you. And may these words so describe our local church, our community together, and may they describe our individual lives as well. We sing to you now words of praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said. As we close, I want to have our prayer team come to my left and have those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup at the Lord's table to come to my right. What I'd like to encourage all of us to do over the next couple of months, we're going to be in uh, this series for, uh, for the next couple of months. By, uh, we're going to finish by the end of June. And my invitation for you is that, uh, as a church, that we would be reading through the Sermon on the Mount at least one time a week through. Just as a church, that we're doing it together, that we're immersing ourselves as a church in the words of Jesus, in the commands of Jesus, in the encouragement of Jesus, in the comfort that Jesus brings, that as a church, if you're wondering, what do I read, what do I do? As, as a church, let's all read it together. Let's just, when you wake up in the morning or so, sometime midday, maybe read a chapter and, ma and make that your reading plan or part of your reading plan for the next couple of months together. And as we close, our prayer team is, is here. And maybe there have been one of those areas that really God's working on you. Maybe it's mercy. Maybe you, you just want to think about getting back at someone and Lord, the Lord is saying, no mercy, mercy realize I need God's help for this because in my own strength I'm all about retribution and getting back at someone and God's saying mercy but today you recognize I need I need the prayer of the, of the body of Christ I need someone to anoint me with oil as a sign of God's presence I, I need grace today or maybe it's meekness maybe you've been living your life aggressively with forcefully and Jesus is inviting you to a more gentle way of being. And you recognize you just need the power of the Holy Spirit to just flood you and overtake you, to empower you to do that. Maybe it's 
hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice. Whatever it is, it all begins with that first beatitude, blessed the poor in spirit. Unless we recognize that without God we can do nothing, we're not going to get very far. And one of the ways that we confess our dependence upon God is by receiving prayer and recognizing our dependence before a brother or a sister. It's a very practical way. How do you know you're dependent on God? Sometimes it just means, can you pray for me? I'm, I'm weak. I don't have the strength, the wisdom, the power. I need someone just to pray with me. And receiving prayer is one of the greatest signs of humility. And a life of humility is a life that God blesses. You want to be blessed? Humble yourself. Recognize you need grace in the body of Christ to come around you. And when we do that, God pours out blessing on us. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you can come up for prayer or receive the bread and the cup from one of our elders, Carol. And as we take the bread and the cup, we are reminding ourselves, Lord, may we, may we become what we consume as we take in your body and your blood may we become the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for the world may we become that which we consume and so you can come up and receive that as well as we close I invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing if you're new to our church we close every gathering like this and whether you are a Christian or not God wants to bless you today and if you're not a Christian Jesus is inviting you to follow him and saying there's a different way you can live in the world. A way encumbered by the values of the world and live into the freedom of the kingdom of God. And if you're not even a Christian today and you sense God tugging you and pulling you, our prayer team would love to pray for you or for whatever need you have. And so with our hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, confessing your poverty of spirit before God. And may God fill you to overflow as you bear witness to the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it on the Sermon on the Mount. And may others come to know of the love of God through your life. And may God fill you with his life. Bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.